This is the word of the Lord. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me, please? Our God in heaven, what a joy it is to gather together in the name of the Lord Jesus to study your word. Would you this morning meet your word with your spirit? And would you enlighten our minds, open our eyes, soften our hearts, and bend our wills to yours? Would you mold us, make us, and change us? And would you exalt the name of the living Christ? We ask in his perfect, precious name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, you no doubt have noticed throughout the months or years, or maybe even this morning, that I pray as part of the prayer, often before the sermon, that God would enlighten our minds, that He would open our eyes, that He would soften our hearts, and that He would bend our wills. And course, that's not original with me. I heard another preacher pray that years and years ago. It resonated with me. It was the prayer of my own heart. Oh Lord, would you do that in me? I wondered where he heard it himself. I wondered where he may have read it. And as I was studying this psalm this past week, it made me wonder if it comes from this section of this psalm. Because that really is what the psalmist is praying, isn't it? These are his petitions to the Lord. Teach me. Give me understanding. Lead me in the path of your commandments. Incline my heart. Turn my eyes. And confirm your promise. Those are his petitions. You know, I think it's tempting for us as we spend a lot of time in the law of God as we we have over the last couple of weeks to begin to think, or at least maybe, maybe even just struggle with thinking that it's all up to us. That we kind of return to the to our flesh and say it's all up to us to do what we're being called to do. I've I've got to walk in the law of the Lord as we've learned. I've got to do no wrong. I've I've got to be steadfast. I've got to keep my way pure. I've got to meditate on His law. And as Christians, as believers, I'm supposed to do all of these. I'm supposed to be and to do all these things. For after all, it is true, isn't it? That's the call for us as believers. And sometimes that can be overwhelming. Sometimes it can even be exhausting 
for us because we often, I think, treat sanctification, that, that process whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and we are enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. I think we oftentimes treat that process as, as if it's a New Year's resolution. I'm going to do this better. Almost like to pull, our, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. It's almost as if we think we can sanctify ourselves. We create standards that we can meet. And then when we do, we compare ourselves with others. We often start and concentrate on all those things on the outside. And we forget about our own hearts before the Lord. And so, therefore, sanctification just becomes just a matter of our own willpower. I'm going to do it. We forget the power that's been demonstrated in Christ Jesus. That, that power, we forget that that power dwells within us. As we confessed earlier together, we are further sanctified, truly and personally, through the power of Christ's death and resurrection by His Word and Spirit dwelling in us. And as I just read in the Shorter Catechism, we are renewed. Notice how that is written. It's not that we renew ourselves, but that indeed we are renewed. And this isn't just a New Testament reality. As if those in the Old Testament who read and sang the Psalms together just obeyed the law on their own strength. No, this next section of the Psalm itself is a powerful reminder that our sanctification, God's people's sanctification, is indeed, now and forever has been, a work of God's free grace. Something that He does in us. So, indeed, we make our way then to hay. To hay. Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Daleth, and now hay. Just as a reminder for those that may be visiting with us this morning, as you walk through Psalm 119, each different section begins with a different section of the Hebrew alphabet. And not only each section begins that way, but each line, each phrase within that section also begins with that particular letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And in the Hebrew, as we come to hay this morning, hay is used particularly at the beginning of verbs to give it a certain action. So this letter has a grammatical function when it's attached to uh, attached to a verb. Now, I know this isn't a grammar lesson, but it is very interesting as, we, as you read the Old Testament, particularly as you do so in the Hebrew, grammar matters. It matters how we say things. It matters what we say. And when a hey is put at the beginning of a verb, it makes it causative. That is to say, if we were to take the verb to learn and we put a hey in front of it, what that means is, Cause me to learn. Or as we read in verse 3, another, um, interpret, or another uh, interpretation or translation of that, I should say, would be, teach me. 
Cause me to learn or to teach me. So the psalmist, all throughout this psalm, or through this section, he understands that his sanctification, his growth, his growth in grace and in faith is dependent upon the Lord's work of grace in his heart and in his life. His petitions are this. Cause me, cause me to learn Cause me to understand. Cause me to walk or to tread. Cause my heart to stretch or to incline. Cause your promise to be confirmed, Lord. Cause the reproach to turn away. These are petitions of a man understanding his dependency on the Lord. And so, as we read through this, what are, what's he asking for? Well, he begins with a summary statement that he's asking for a life for the Lord. And then a mind for the Lord. Feet for the Lord. A heart for the Lord. Eyes for the Lord. And finally, a will for the Lord. And that's what we ought to be asking this morning as well. So we'll use that as our outline this morning. I know that's not very Presbyterian. There are six um, divisions and not three, but our children weren't very Presbyterian either. They were loud and pesky, but isn't that fun to hear? Isn't it fun to hear? Oh, that our hearts might respond similarly to the word of the Lord. So first, a life for the Lord. The psalmist's first petition Again, it's a simple one, but it, but it is all-encompassing. It's kind of the summary statement at the very beginning. He says, teach me, O Lord. James Boyce here says, it's as if uh, the psalmist is matriculating in God's school. He is, he is entering into this education of life, and it is the way of that blessed life. Remember, he's already talked about that. How is it? How is it that we live that blessed life? Well, here's, here's the education. Here's the schooling for it. And while our, while our culture may not emphasize it like we once did, we certainly still do. Education has always been an important aspect of life. You need to go to school. You need to learn these things. So that why? So that you can be successful in life. So that you can function um, in this life. In fact, we have a generation today who is racked and burdened with debt for the sake of education. And so while some things maybe have shifted and changed, we still see it as important. Whether it's higher education, whether it's education in a particular skill or maybe a trade, or maybe in some particular field. We see that as an important venture. And in fact, we see it important enough to invest in it, to give our money to it, to give our time to it, because after all, we want to be successful in life. But oh, to be taught by the Lord. To be taught by the Lord. Think about some of the things that we ask of the Lord. We ask of the Lord, Lord, would you bless us? Lord, would you strengthen us? Lord, would you give us peace? Lord, would you heal us? Lord, would you protect us? Lord, would you provide for us? And all of those things, yes, they are appropriate. And it's good to ask of our great and gracious God. But do we ask, oh Lord, 
Teach me the way of your statutes. Teach me the way of your law. You see, the, the, the psalmist here understands that to live life is to live a life governed by the one who created that life. And boy, that just makes sense, doesn't it, when you think of it that way? Why wouldn't we turn to him? Calvin in his commentary notes that, that this is often the last of importance to us, and yet the main thing in life consists in having God for our governor. I love the way that Calvin says that. The main thing in life consists of having God for our governor. Understanding that even as He loves us, He rules us because He loves us. And again, that makes sense, doesn't it? That we turn to the Lord, our Creator. That we turn to the Lord. He, he's the one not only that's created us, He's formed us. It's He who's called us to Himself. It's He who's redeemed us. It's He who's, who has saved us. It's He who has loved us. Why wouldn't we turn to Him? And again, we turn to all sorts of things for our learning. Don't we? I mean, we, we look to sociologists. We look to psychologists. We look to experts in marriage therapy. We look to the academic world. And, and there may be a place for those things. Don't get me wrong. But do we turn to the Lord? Where's the first place we turn? Do we turn to the Lord? I know. Even in the church, we struggle in our marriages. To whom do we turn? Where's the first place? Men, do you turn to the Lord and say, Lord, teach me what it means to love my wife as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her? Is that where you turn? When we struggle in our relationships, do we turn to the Lord and do we ask Him, Lord... Teach me what it means to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourself. Is that the first place you turn? And, and this, this school, it's not a, a two-year degree. It's not a four-year degree. This is lifelong it's lifelong schooling. Notice what the psalmist says. He says, and, and I will keep it to the end. And, and of course, when we hear that in our flesh, in our flesh, I think the first thing we go is go, okay, so the psalmist is saying, Lord, you tell me, and by gosh, I'll do it. I'll just muster up and I'll do it. You tell me, all I need to know is you tell me what to do and I'll get, it, I'll get her done, as it were. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is that he can only do it as the Lord teaches him. Without the Lord's teaching, without the Lord's strength, there's not a, there's not a keeping it to the end. Again, to quote Calvin here, Calvin says, but if thou guide me, 
I will be constantly upon the watch and will never turn away my eyes from my end or aim. Oh, but Lord, thou must. Thou must guide me. Thou must strengthen thee. Thou must teach me. That's what he's saying. And what are the aspects of this lifelong schooling? Is it enough to just be taught? Is it enough just to have the knowledge? I've already said earlier in application to us as, as in, in our lives and relationships, Lord, teach me what it means to do so and so. So we've already kind of moved, haven't we, to this division. Because what he says next is give me understanding. Give me under, cause me to understand. Not just the information, but but the understanding of it so that it can be applied to faith and to life. Our culture often acts as if information is all we need. Education is all we need. If only, if only people simply knew things, then they'd be okay. If only people knew things, then our culture would be all right. The world would be okay. If they, knew the, if they only knew the statistics about poverty, then poverty would be solved. If they only knew the reality of racism or the reality of abuse. If they only understood and knew the, the, the dangers of this or that or the other, then all this uh, stuff would somehow magically cease. And so for a lot of times the culture is what we need is just education. Well, education is important. But it's an important aspect. Because education by itself doesn't change hearts and therefore it doesn't lead to permanent true change. It doesn't. It can't. You see, the psalmist desires to understand God's laws. Not just to know them, but to understand them. And this is part of the school for the living. And, and he can't understand apart from God's grace. He understands that. He, so he desires a mind for the, for the Lord. He wants to think God's thoughts after him. That's his desire. As the Apostle Paul in Romans 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but tr be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I love the way Paul says this. And, and you young people, pay attention closely. Because this is so, I mean, it's applicable to all of us. But particularly for you young people who think this, this won't matter if I'm around this. This won't matter if I engage in this. This won't matter if I do this. Notice what Paul is saying. What he's saying is thinking like the world is easy. It's, you don't have to do anything different to think like the world around you. It requires no change from our fleshly thinking. It's how we would think if it were just left up to ourselves in our fallen nature. Because we would just simply conform to the world around us. We conform to what is natural to us in our flesh. But Paul says, don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You see, it's a different way of thinking. It's a different way of thinking. We as Christians don't think like the world. We shouldn't think like the world around us. And that requires a work of God's grace. And so he prays, cause me to understand, Lord. 
cause me to understand. May, may I understand it as you mean for it to be understood. There's an old philosopher that used to um, teach, and, and one of the illustrations or one of the applications he would make is like, you, you, and, and for us in our fallenness, we can't even understand a tree unless we understand that tree in the way that God meant for it to be understood. The psalmist is saying, Lord, help me to understand. My flesh says this about this. My flesh says this about this situation. My flesh says this about the world. But your word says this. So cause me to understand. That's his petition. And why? Notice the why. He says, that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. And so we begin to see this connection between what we think or, or between our minds and with our hearts here. And we'll get to the heart here in just a moment. But the, this petition to understand isn't, again, just a knowledge for knowledge's sake. I want to know all this knowledge so I can be smart. No, it's not knowledge for knowledge's sake. It's for application for applying it to faith and to life, so that he might obey. And that's interesting, isn't it? Teach me, cause me to understand so that I might obey. Notice the growth in learning here. And the growth in learning here, spiritually speaking, very similar to the growth in learning just in everyday life with our own children, isn't it? When our children are young, what do we do? What do we say? We say, hey, you do this. And when they're little bitty and they're completely dependent upon us, it doesn't matter whether they really understand. We say do this for protection of their very lives. We say do this and they do it. But then as they get older, what do they do? What's the question they begin to ask? And you say, do this. And they go, why? And boy, do we ever get frustrated at that, don't we? And sadly, sadly, too often, we say, it doesn't matter why. Simply because I said so. And now you may be saying, well, I say that all the time. I should say that. I, I deserve respect. I deserve quick, perfect obedience from my children. Brothers and sisters, do you realize you are demanding something from your children that God has never demanded from you? When you refuse to answer the why. And do you realize that God answers the why before he ever even gave the command? I am the Lord thy God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he says, you shall have no other gods before me. He answers the why before. And yet somehow we think we shouldn't do that with our own children. Interestingly, Barna just came out with a new study. I think it was Barna. I just heard it on the radio the other day. Probably not the radio. I hadn't listened to the radio in years. Some, somewhere. Podcasts. I don't know. What do we listen to? Anyways, I heard it somewhere. Barna came out with a new... Um, I just said the word. Now I can't think of it. Thank you, study. Wow, that's a hard one. Um, <laughs> Barna just came out with a new study. You know what the number one reason why youth leave the church after they leave the home because they do not know the why. Because the church for so long said, 
just because we said so. And they leave because they don't know the why. And because they can't defend what they believe because they've never been taught the why. So parents, church, don't be afraid of the why. Guess what? You may not be able to answer it. I may not be able to answer it. Let's not be afraid of it. Let's seek to understand why we believe what we believe. Let's seek to teach our children why we believe what we believe. Cause me to understand. And the psalmist says, that I may keep your law. He also says, cause me to understand so that I may walk in your ways. And this is another area of our schooling, as it were. Another advancement in the school of life that I might have also feet for the Lord. That is to say, he says, "Lead lead me in the path of your commandments for I delight in it. As I learn, as I understand, I want to walk according to your word, Lord. And it's interesting, isn't it? This isn't a new way. This isn't a new path. Now, it's certainly not the way of the world. And it's not the easy way. In fact, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, For the gate is wide, the way is easy, that leads to destruction. Those who enter it by, uh, by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard, that leads to life. And those who find it are few. It's not easy. It's not wide. It's often difficult. And it's not the way of the world. It's not the common path. But it is a path. And it is a path already taken. In fact, the word word that's used here, and I think I used it, I know I used it in the introduction, um, cause me to walk or to tread. There's that word, to tread, to tread the the path. It's a path that's already been tread. Tread. I think of Hebrews 11, that great cloud of witnesses with all those who have gone before us. It's already been tread. We're not blazing a new trail, as it were, when we blaze or when we walk the path of righteousness. So that's not what the psalmist is asking. It's not what we should ask. We may sometimes feel like we're the only ones on it. We may think that we're blazing a trail that nobody else has ever trod. For after all, we'd really love that in our flesh, wouldn't we? Look at me. I'm doing something nobody else does. That would really pat ourselves on the back. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying, I want to walk the path. Show me. Teach me. Show me the path. I understand it so that I might do this. That I might walk in your ways. And we'll see this at the very end too, but not only is that great cloud of witnesses, but there's one, there is one who has truly blazed that trail for us already. We'll come back to that. But the Lord says to Jerusalem, um, yeah, the Lord says to Jerusalem in, in Jeremiah chapter 6, He says, stand by the roads and look and ask for the, and I love how He says this, and ask for the ancient paths. It's not a new path. Ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls.
What a, what a precious invitation. And yet they didn't heed it. They rebelled against it. They said they would not walk in it. And it led to disaster. It led to destruction. Not to life. Paul says in Ephesians 5, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Then he writes, in a, uh, he writes just before that in Ephesians 4, as he's teaching about new life in Christ, he says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. Boy, we read that and we again notice the consistency of God's Word, don't we? The similarity between Psalm 119 and the teaching of the apostles. Is this not exactly what he's asking? Walk in the way of the Lord. Walk in the light. Walk in His light. Walk in obedience for this is the way. That's what early Christians were called. Jessica Putman reminded me that after the first service. He said, actually, that's what the early Christians were called, isn't it? Yes, it was. You're right. The way. There's a show also in the Star Wars franchise. Many of you probably know of it. It's called The Mandalorian. And they have a phrase. This is the way. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's meant to capture the, and embody what it means to be Mandalorian. All the traditions, all the codes of conduct, all the ethics and all the ideals that they uphold is captured in the phrase, this is the way. Brothers and sisters, for the Christian, this isn't a TV show. It's not science fiction. But in life, with real consequences, with eternity in the view, with faith or with, with life and death in view, with blessing or cursing in view, walking in the light of the Lord, walking in the path of the Lord's commandments. For the believer, this is the way. This is the way. His next position, uh, 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 petition, the next area of schooling in this blessed life is the petition of his heart. He says, Cause my heart to be inclined to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. All these things, all these things are part of the Christian life, aren't they? They're not disconnected from one another. Earlier we, we read, cause me to understand so that I may observe your law with my whole heart. May, may I be renewed in my mind. May my thinking be changed so that the desires of my heart also follow. That I not yearn for selfish gain, but for the keeping of your law. One of the main things about repentance is this change of mind. We often think of repentance having to do with a change of heart. You know, the Greek word for repentance is actually metanoia, which is change, meta, turn, and noia come from nous, which is mind. And, and think about it. What you believe actually matters. You believe I really need this? What needs to be changed? Your mind needs to be changed. You don't need that because you've got Christ. Start thinking differently about that. That affects our heart and our desires of the heart. So may, may my desires yearn for the law of God. May God's law be more important to me than, than that which I can gain of the world. Can we say that of our own selves? Can we say that of our own hearts?
And we've been encouraged in this way many times already as we've studied through this, haven't we? The passion of our hearts, what do we long for? Uh, One of my kids and I have a recurring conversation, kind of a game we play. If you could have anything you want, what would it be? If you had unlimited money, what would be those things that you get, that you pursue? And we talk through that. But I've noticed something in our conversations. I've noticed something about my own heart in those conversations. Because at first, when he first asked me those, that question, and we do it more than once, it's, like I said, it's recurring, I usually first answer with, oh, I don't know, not much, really. I mean, what else could I want? I got everything that I need. And I think I mean that when I say that. But then I begin to consider it, and even we go our own way, and I begin to think about it. And I keep coming back to him and say, well, even and your question, I think I'd get this. And, and then I'd get this. And, and then, then I'd get this. Unlimited, you say? Is it really unlimited money? Because if that were the case, then I would get this and this and this and this. And I have realized that no matter how many and this is there are, I can always think of another one. There's always another one. Oh, I forgot about this and this. There's always something else. Why? And I know it's just a game we play, but again, it's enlightening. Because if I were looking to those things to satisfy me, there would always be another and this. Always. Does my heart long for the things of God? Or does my heart long for the things of this world that never satisfy? And that, the next area of schooling that the psalmist moves to, isn't it? Because he says, cause my eyes to turn away from worthless things and give me life in your ways. It is hard to convince ourselves that those things that we often yearn after and often look to are worthless when it comes to ultimate things. We want to say, oh no, they're not really worthless. When it comes to ultimate things, they're worthless. Worthless. Those things can't give life and satisfaction and fulfillment. Those things are only in the Lord. And we are so easily distracted, aren't we? By the things that we see. By the things that we want to possess, desire to possess, long to possess. They look so good. They look attractive. They look like they'll bring satisfaction and maybe even life. And we often pursue them to that end. And they leave you disappointed. Often when I think about things like this, think of the tragedy and emptiness of those old ancient Egyptian burials where the pharaohs are buried with all this wealth and all this gold and all this treasure. What good does that do? What a waste. What a waste. They can't take it with them. And for them, they didn't even do anything with it. They didn't even pass it down. They just died with it. How silly. How foolish. You and I can't take it with us either. And I know that we know that, but I think we ought to follow that up with another question. Do you want to? 
You may know you can't, but do you wish you could? Boy, when I die, I wish I could take this with me. I know heaven's going to be great, but boy, I hope there's this there. Or is it enough that God's there? That's stepping on our toes, though, isn't it? That's stepping on our hearts. But what is our heart? We long for Him. Or do we long for those things rather than longing for God and that to which He has in store for us? I've shared with you before, it's been quite some time now, but C.S. Lewis's quote, uh, quote, quote from Weight of Glory. Um, he says this, he says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Part of our schooling is to remind us what we have in the Lord. And then finally, and quickly, here the last one, a will for the Lord. That's the next part. Cause your, cause your promise to be confirmed that you may be feared. Turn my will according to your promise. Confirm your promise to, uh, to, uh, confirm your promise to me. Remind me of what I have in you. Remind me that you are God, that you are my God, that you're to be feared, that you've created all things, that you indeed are the governor of, my, of all of life. And may I say, thy will be done, not mine. Oh, that, that might be the cry of our hearts. And even so, while it might be and is counter to the world around, around me, and when the world might make fun, may I not fear it? May I not dread it? Would you cause the reproach to be turned away from me? May I see in the midst of this world around me that your rules, O oh God, are good and beautiful and perfect. And may I experience that life that you promise in your righteousness. May I experience the blessing that comes, from, from, uh, that comes with, with living according to your word. And that doesn't necessarily mean earthly riches or earthly ease. There are some of you here who may have earthly riches and earthly ease, but you are not at peace. But living a life according to the Word of God means a life of peace, a life of joy, a life of satisfaction in Him. And notice the psalmist says, in your righteousness give me life. That's so important that we read that at the very end here. Psalmist does not, and you and I do not, earn life by our own righteousness. It is found in somebody else's. And whose is that? That is in the Lord's own righteousness. Because He's the one that's blazed that trail for us. He's the one who's, who, but, that, that has blazed that trail of perfect obedience, perfect righteousness, so that, what? So that we may now walk in it. Not to earn it because we can't, but He's done it for us. So that we might indeed have life 
in him. And so at the end <coughs> of this life, that we might be presented before the Father, who will say to those in Christ Jesus, and because of Christ Jesus, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. Do you long to hear those words? In Christ Jesus, you will hear those words. Isn't that wonderful news? That even though that we do not deserve it, in our own efforts, in our own righteousness, that if it were left up to me, I would never hear those words. But in Christ Jesus, you in Christ, me in Christ, all those in Christ Jesus can be assured, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Master. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, what a wonderful, wonderful reminder would you confirm that to our hearts? Even now as we come to the Lord's table, would you confirm it upon our hearts, your promise to save sinners like us because of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. First Corinthians 11.